You're listening to the National Trust podcast. I'm James Grasby. I'm a curator at the National Trust and I'll be leading you through some of the Trust's most interesting collections. In this episode, we're in Liverpool to find out how two ordinary houses grew two men who went on to change popular culture forever. I'm walking along Liverpool's famous Albert Docks and I'm struck by how many of the shops and restaurants are pumping out the Beatles' back catalogue. It's hard to imagine what Liverpool was like before the Beatles. There are references everywhere. Of course, you fly into John Lennon Airport, you stroll down Ringo Starr Drive or, or Paul McCartney Way. The city is undeniably a living, breathing homage to the Fab Four. In 1995, the Trust acquired a house dubbed the birthplace of the Beatles at number 20 Forthlin Road. This house was the childhood home of Paul McCartney. Then in 2002, Yoko Ono bought John Lennon's childhood home, 251 Menlove Avenue. In an attempt to preserve it, Yoko immediately donated the house to the National Trust. Today, the Trust runs tours around the two properties, giving you a backstage peek into the lives of John and Paul. I've just arrived at the tour central Liverpool pickup point. I'm eagerly waiting to board the bus for the 11 o'clock tour, along with lots of other Beatles fans. Let's go and see who I'll be sharing my tour with today. Hello. Sorry to burst into your day. Oh, look, who, who are you? Who are you? I'm Graham Hancock from Birmingham. Yeah, Martin Lindsay from Birmingham as well. You're clearly not of the Beatles' generation. What's brought you to, to, to come on this tour today? Uh, no, you're right, I'm not that generation, but I've got an older brother and he handed me his records and like, Rubber Soul and we've still got reel-to-reel tapes in the house of Hard Days, Nights and Help. Yeah, I think Graham's just sitting on the head for me as well because my dad, he, um, you know, he started his apprenticeship, got enough money together and he bought himself a reel-to-reel tape recorder back in the late 50s. And of course, when I was born, started going through his tapes, playing them and that's where the love of you know, that music came from. And how pa- very powerful it is, isn't it, hearing music from your, from okay, your child? OK, shall we go down then, ladies and gents? Look, I think the bus has arrived. We'd better join the tour. How exciting. Look, we'll join the queue. OK, just be careful. Just watch your step getting on for me. Just take your time. Don't rush, please. Don't rush. OK, good morning, ladies and gents. My name's Joe. I'm your driver for today. It's going to take us about 15, 20 minutes to get there, so just sit back and relax, ladies and gents. Well, we've been on the bus for about 10 minutes and we've left the sparkly, cosmopolitan, wonderful middle of great city of Liverpool into some very straightforward domestic residential areas. This next road on our right is called Penny Lane. There it is. I'm sure some of you may have heard of that. Penny Lane, as it immortalised in the uh, the songs and lyrics. My goodness. Okay, ladies and gents, here we are, coming up to the house where Paul I think we've just come into Fourthlin Road. Yes, we have. Just turn around the corner. To quite a broad street with terraces of brick houses, little front gardens that have been most used for parking. Look at that! I think we're going to get out of the pavement. How exciting! Take your time getting off, please, ladies and gents. Okay, just 
The bus has just dropped us out on the pavement. Outside this terrace, eight symmetrical, similar houses. Brick, two storeys. I wonder what it's like living next door to the McCartney house, now surrounded by maybe 50 visitors, um, all eagerly anticipating a look inside. I'm Sylvia. So this is 24th Lynn Road. This is the home Paul McCartney came to when he was 13 years old. And then he lived here for eight years, really important years musically. By the time Paul left here, it was right at the end of 1963, so he turned into a Beatle. They'd already got hits in the charts. They were appearing on television. Paul was still coming back. That was still his bedroom up there, right until the end of 1963. Then he was the last Beatle to move to London. If you've got a mobile phone on, can you switch it off? We are going back to the 1950s, so no mobile phones. Come on in. <laughs> photograph of Paul here standing at the front door you'll see what he's doing as you come past that was Paul's answer to getting complaints about noise from the neighbours who live here so come and have a look at him. oh look look at that black and white photograph a super photo actually of um, of Paul, I guess he's in his early 20s. At this house, yes, there he is. He's coming out of the door of this house carrying a, an enormous drum kit. Not a big house by any means. So basically there's a hall, a kitchen, a front room, and just a couple of rooms upstairs. It's really a very small. It doesn't seem to say anything about not playing loud music, so that's good. Come and have a look at the kitchen and outside. Sylvia, hello. Could I grab you and just take you away from the tour for a mo? Yes, of course. Yeah. This room was always full of music. All the family gathered round the piano, always singing in harmony. As Paul said, when I got together with John, it was natural to put in the harmonies. That's how I'd always sung at home with the family. The very first tune he wrote in this room was the tune to When I'm 64. No words at first, just the tune. He was 14 when he wrote that. When he got his first guitar, he'd go up into his bedroom. That, his little room at the front, really just became his sanctuary, he said. And he wrote his first song with a guitar up in his bedroom, a song called I Lost My Little Girl. When John started to come down here, they did sit here in uh, just over this side of the room together and they wrote Love Me Do. So that was the first Beatles one, both, which was totally co-written and that set them on their way. We've got two photographs on the wall here, John and Paul just sitting in this room. The song they're finishing there is I Saw Her Standing There. In the photograph, there's a notebook on the floor. Paul's writing down the words. And he's still got that book with all those early songs in. I've looked with a magnifying glass and I can see he's crossed out. We saw her and it's, it's I saw her standing there. I'm standing on the very spot where John Lennon is. I mean, it is really quite eerie. There is... <laughs> 
There he is. He's got his foot on that fireplace, hasn't he? Yes. So the notebook was really where my foot is. Yeah. There's the telly. Yeah. I mean, it's very poignant to see that, isn't it? That they really were here. It is. That's so unusual. Yeah. Sylvia, I'm keeping you from your party. Um, show, show me. Could, have you got time to just quickly show us upstairs? Yes, of course. Yeah. So we've come from the sitting room into the dining room through the double doors. So this sitting room was where John, Paul and George rehearsed. This was where John and Paul finished writing She Loves You. Then they went into play it to Jim. Jim was Paul's father and Jim's famous quote was, yeah, it's great, I love it, great chorus, but I don't like the Americanisms in the chorus. Can you change those? So Jim wanted, she loves you, yes, yes, yes. Didn't like the yeah, yes. Too rock and roll for Jim. <laughs> That's a lovely story. I've not heard that before. Could we, uh, could we take a look upstairs now? So this is Paul's room. Oh, look at those wonderful photographs of the young Paul McCartney looking rather moody. What I like to think of in here is, you know, Paul had this little bedroom just less than a mile away. John had exactly the same smallest bedroom in the house. And those two young boys were doing exactly the same things, really. Reading, writing, drawing, painting, always busy in their bedrooms. Two very bright, clever boys. And then when they got their first guitars, sitting on their beds and trying to write songs in their bedroom. This little photograph shows Paul with his guitar, his Zenith guitar, and he's, it's a very early photograph. There's, there's only, of course, no Ringo yet. So there's George, John and Paul, and um, George is just 15 years old in this photograph. Yes, they're rosy-cheeked. I mean, look at John Lennon. He's just a little boy, really, isn't he? Yeah. That's very touching. <laughs> look at Paul. With his with his rosy face and his yeah. pink ears and his little quiff, <laughs> sweet, isn't it? Yeah. Sylvia, thank you very much. It's been it's been lovely, fascinating. You've got a tour waiting for you downstairs. I certainly have. Yes. That was fabulous. We've just got back on the bus and we're now going over to John's house. Goodbye, Fortland Road. Yes. Now look, forgive me, may I ask you, what did you make of Paul's house? There's something special about sort of being in the space that they were in. Just to put your hand on doorknobs and on banisters and think of all the time they must have been there. Um, it has a certain... Uh, uh, Residence somehow. It's, it's weird. Here we are coming to the house where John Lang used to live. Just stay seated for me. Oh, we've just arrived outside the, the childhood home of John Lennon. There we are. My word, I mean, that is, that is sort of house housing. My name's Colin, and for the past 15 years, it has been my job to look after this property. Uh, just as you would your own. And Paul himself told me that John had said, Paul, 
Don't knock on the front door because my aunt doesn't let people in that way. It's kept for best. The vicar, the doctor, people of that ilk, you'll have to go to the kitchen door at the back. So I'm afraid for you also, it does have to be the tradesman's entrance. Welcome to Aunt Mimi's Mendips. Thank you very much. I'm just going to hang back from the tour so as not to disturb them and have a bit of a look round the outside of this house. That is a very different thing from Paul's. It's bigger and rather more gracious. I mean, this looks like what one might describe as middle-class living, probably from the 1930s, I'd guess. Pebble-dash, two-storey, with pretty um, coloured glass in the windows. I mean, it sits in a, with a little front garden and a, and a glazed porch and a little back door here going into the what looks like sort of a, a, a kitchen. I'll have a look at that in a bit. But I mean, honestly, the, the, the um, area put aside for the coal here is about the same size as the garden at, at Paul's house with mature trees. And once you get back from the road, it's really quite peaceful. I mean, they had space here and it looks comfortable and really very homely. Different world, really, to Paul's. I want to thank you for listening, but I want you to see some of the house yourself. The dining room is full of memorabilia. John's room is tiny, so maybe the best advice is circulate. Hello, Colin. You've got a tour going on upstairs. Yes. Another tour of arriving in a bit. Have you got a mo to show me around? I have, certainly. Colin, how did John come to live here? The war uh, played havoc with his parents' relationship and within the family it was agreed that John uh, should come to live with his aunt where there was stability and security. So here Mimi could be quite strict. She encouraged him with his art. He would spend hours drawing and she would sometimes go to remove the discarded pictures and he would caution her, you know, say, oh Mimi, don't don't take those, don't throw those away, because one day I'm going to be famous and they'll be worth a lot of money. And so, yes, the, the arts were appreciated at Mendips, but strangely, music wasn't encouraged too much. Colin, what was uh, John's school days like? I should take you through to the morning room next to the kitchen, because in there, there is a, a full-size picture of the entire school. There's a school report there as well. So let us go through. The report we have is from a Dovedale Primary School, which is where John attended. <laughs> Isn't that good? Liverpool Education Committee Boys report. Name of scholar, John Lennon. Attendance good, conduct good. Scripture, good. <laughs> well, Colin, I can't find John in this school photograph. Uh, well, he's not hiding. Uh, he's here. Oh, look at that. And recognisable, too. He's standing next to Peter Shotton, with whom he will form the Quarrymen Skiffle Group um, in late 1956. And, of course, the reports um, at secondary school, I'm afraid, didn't take long to go downhill. By then, John really is totally besotted with rock and roll. And he'd overcome the obstacle to being a rock and roller. The obstacle for British children was we didn't have the electric guitars 
kids in Britain could dream all they wanted about being Elvis Presley, but they couldn't turn it into a practical reality. So the saviour of British youth and of John Lennon really was Skiffle. So it was really a kissing cousin of rock and roll, a fusion of folk, blues and jazz, but essentially not played on electric instruments. It was played on acoustic and homemade instruments. Well in excess of 10,000 Skiffle groups were formed in Britain, including John Lennon's Quarrymen. So as he went into his O-level years, um, Mimi had the twin problem of Elvis and the Quarrymen. The Quarrymen perform at the St. Peter's annual church garden fete. John's friend Ivan brought Paul to the fete to hear the Quarrymen. And then a couple of weeks later, Paul was invited to join the group. So by Christmas 1957, you have John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Colin Hanton as the Quarrymen. In 1959, going into 60, the boys are trying to think of another name. So John got the idea from Buddy Holly and the Crickets, and so they came up with Beatles. Paul and John very quickly bonded, not only over the music, but over the realisation that they were writing songs independently. So they started to come to each other's houses to hear these and share them. They could sit in the bed and work on the songs. I think Hello Little Girl was written around about December 57 and that was the first song John shared with Paul. Paul shared um, I Lost My Little Girl with John. That was the first song Paul had written on guitar. But the other songs John wrote up there to fruition were I Call Your Name, I'll Get You, which was the B-side of She Loves You, was written with Paul in that bedroom. Colin, you've told me a lot about the songs that were written here. Can we go and see his bedroom? Yes, of course. They're written. Yeah. Thank you. Now just going upstairs. Look at that. Walking into the 1950s, into a little single bedroom. Is this John's room? With a little poster stuck to the wall, hip for Elvis Presley and Bridget Bardot, the guitar at the end of the bed, with that sort of classic 1930s brown oak furniture with a varnish on it, and looking out over onto the road. What a nice room. We just walked into a room next door to John's. It's the principal front bedroom with some um, candy-coloured lampshades and a double bed and, and one of those classic sort of 1930s tiled fireplaces with a little gas, um, a little gas heater. Comfy. Hello. 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 <laughs> what has brought you to John Lennon's house? Big Beatles fans, um, part of my youth really. Um, so many, many memories of that. So playground arguments about who was the best Beatle in the 60s, yes. My older brother, um, who's 11 years older than, than I, was a great jazz fan. He was the only one in the house that had a record player. We were not allowed to play it on his <laughs> record player. My sister, who was two or three years older, came home with the Twist and Shout EP, and that was the first, the first sort of single record, I think, that we ever had in, in the house that wasn't jazz. So we had to wait until he went out <laughs> to be able to play it so we could sort of dance around the living room to the music. But yeah, so it's uh, 
yeah, quite a, a sort of contentious thing to like at the time. We're just saying actually John's bedroom is very similar to the bedroom my husband had in his house where he grew up, so... Yeah. What does it feel like for you, knowing those songs so well, to be in the place where some of, those, some of them were actually penned, some of them were composed? It reminds me a bit of when we went to Vienna and went to Mozart's house, yeah. and you could suddenly get the feel, this is where Mozart actually um, composed his music, and the idea that this is where John composed his music, you get the same sort of chill down your, your back, back bone, it's the same sort of feeling. Oh, I wish we could talk more, but I think that was Colin. Let's go this way. So you may want to ask when you get back on. Thanks for coming. It's been a delight to show you around wherever you go today. Have a lovely time. Did you all enjoy your tour, ladies and gents? Yeah. Great stuff. We've got back on the bus and I feel heavy-hearted because it's, it marks the end of the day. It's been such great fun spending time with these Beatles enthusiasts, fanatics indeed, from all around the world. And I think that such is their emotion about the day. They're going to burst into song. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. Join us in two weeks' time when we'll be learning about some of the famous faces who visited the Beatles' houses. And don't forget to subscribe to the series and do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I look forward to our next adventure. I do hope you'll join me. Until then, from me, James Grasby, goodbye. <laughs>